Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Leadership is about composure. Composure is about faith. Faith in yourself, faith in your team, in sport or in business, and faith in in your strategy. This is the Playmaker's Playbook. Hello, I'm Nick McArdle, host of the Playmaker's Playbook, a podcast about leadership in sport and the business of sport. If you want to be a better leader in business, sport, or the everyday, or if you simply love a good story, this podcast is for you. This week, a man who's taken his experience from his on-field success into the boardroom, where he's made his mark as a director and investor. He won two Rugby World Cups, the latter as captain in 1999. He led the Wallabies to four Bledisloe Cup victories and a Lions Series win in 01. His final test was a win over the All Blacks on September 1, 2001. The perfect farewell. It's uh, been the biggest honour of my life to be able to represent the Wallabies over such a long period of time. The mates that I've made over that, that time, the enjoyment that I've had just being a part of this team, uh, the enjoyment that I'll, the reflected glory I'll get of you guys in years to come, will be, uh, you know, I just can't wait to come, come back and watch some test matches and, and enjoy your success in the future. Australians, final address as Wallaby captain deep in the bowels of Stadium Australia and a last chance to sing the anthem in the gold jersey. It certainly doesn't seem like almost 19 years ago. John Eels, welcome to the Playmakers Playbook. What a different world it is we're facing right now. Yeah, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? We're, we're experiencing something that really no one has gone through in history before. Nothing has challenged you know, outside of wartime, people have compared it to wartime, but it, but it's very different. Usually there's some anticipation about wartime. You know what to expect. People are prepared, uh, whereas there's been no real preparation for what we're, what we're experiencing at the moment. It has had no regard for industry or, or class. It is just hitting everyone at the same time and in different ways. And, of course, some people are benefiting from it. But uh, by and large, most people are struggling with it. And we're seeing it in business. We're seeing sports that are really brought to their knees, revenue models that, that have worked through generations are now really struggling. What is your anticipation about how we come out of the other side of it? And, and obviously, you're uh, well-connected in business, but obviously with the sporting history as well. How long do you think it's, and this is a difficult question because we don't know how long it's going to last, but in terms of bouncing back when it does finish, how does that look to you? Well, I think you need to look at it from a few different different avenues. Like when is it going to end? I don't think anyone knows that. 
we can have our best guesses, but to some extent they're going to be guesses. I think you can we can try to extrapolate how will business respond, how will sporting organisations respond when they come out. But as we don't know how deeply things are going to be cut, we don't exactly know the, what capability, what resources they're going to have to respond. We also don't know what capacity that the general population will have to to pay for services that that maintain all, all these businesses. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to to know all those things. But but the one thing we do know is the human spirit does get people through in a whole range of different circumstances over many different challenges in many different eras. Um, you know, this is our plague. It's our wartime. You know, it's really the the biggest challenge that probably most people who are alive, or you'd say definitely most people who are, who are alive, from what we can see as it unfolds it's probably going to be the biggest challenge that we face, uh, at least until this point in our lives. Because it's a challenge on many different fronts, it's challenging us from a social perspective, it's challenging us from an economic perspective, and it's, and it's by the nature of the you know, COVID-19 itself, it's challenging us from a health perspective. And people are making up their responses as they go along because they have to because the playbook is out the window. How does it uh, affect your day-to-day in terms of your um, business commitments in particular? Well, it changes. My my main role these days is either as a director or an investor in businesses. Uh, It has definitely changed my day-to-day because day-to-day you are typically in board meetings that would be reviewing what's gone on and anticipating what's coming up, but you would be doing it on on a... a scale across the whole of the business, you know, what, what is happening and you dive down into different areas of the business at different stages, depending on the the time of year, the, the focus, the opportunity. Whereas now, most of the meetings, certainly over the last month, and the meetings are more regular uh, and they're very specifically orientated to, to the crisis. Uh, and depending on the business, the different aspects of the crisis or the different opportunities of the crisis. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty interesting time. I'm certainly learning a lot. I'm writing a lot of notes from from the meetings to you know, to try to do two things. So I don't forget what's happening in this time. And secondly, that uh, it helps me to articulate in my own mind, if if that's the right phrase, it will to you know, figure out at least in my own mind what's going on and I find I do that better when I write something down. And are there lessons already that you think you've learned just in the first few weeks? Have you you know, found things out, thought about things you hadn't thought about before? Well, I think the way people approach cash in their businesses, but I don't think that's a new lesson, but I think it's a lesson that gets easily forgotten. Um, I, I think it's also understanding that that even good businesses that are you know have been around for a long time that are well well governed well run can be under extreme pressures in times like this because no one anticipates that businesses with really good revenue cash flow can all of a sudden go to zero revenue or near enough to zero revenue with high cost bases that aren't necessarily easy to to wind in 
at times like this or certainly wind in really quickly. So I, I think there's some of the age-old lessons come to play, but they're on steroids at the moment. Yeah, right. And and but then, but then I think some of the 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 things that have held people in in good stead in the past, and I always think back. One of the things I always like to focus on when it, when you're talking about leadership is this idea of composure, and I classify lead, composure really as being all about faith and about three levels of faith. And number one, it's about faith in yourself and your own ability. You know, you've left no stone unturned in your focus on what you're trying to achieve. Number two, it's about faith in your teammates around you in sport or in business, that they're your teammates, they're the people you're going on that journey with. Do you have a true grounded sense of faith in them? And is that a faith that's been born of of working with them and watching them through good times and through tougher times? And thirdly, it's about faith in your plan and faith in your strategy. And to me, if you've got those three levels of faith, it gives you a chance to be composed. And even in times like this, you may not, the, the future is uncertain. Uh, the next step may be uncertain. Um, but if you've got composure, you're putting yourself in a better frame of mind to take that next step. So is that leadership philosophy that that you have, is that one of the skills that you bring in your business life to the boards that you sit on to perhaps the the business leaders you might mentor? Is that is that something that makes you valuable in a business sense? I think all our experiences make us valuable uh, to, to some extent or, or other. And it's um, in, any, in any situation, look, if you go through a year with a business, there's no one person that's going to be the most valuable around that table all of the time. You know, everyone will have their chance to be valuable in a business or sporting framework or, or the family framework. Like you can, you can be around the dinner table at night and sometimes the most valuable person around that dinner table with the, the best insight into a situation is, is the youngest person in the family. Uh, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with age, but it does have to do with experience and what you're experiencing at any given point in time, but also your insight into that experience. So yeah, there's times when I can bring an insight that others won't necessarily be able to bring. We're in an environment where um, leadership is so important, whether it be in business or even at a state political level or a national political level. You know, our leaders are under so much pressure at the moment. What have you made of the the leadership that's been shown so far? I I don't think that leaders have ever faced more more difficult situations in some respects to what they're facing now and. And some of the challenges they're facing are so much uh, more overt than what they usually are. Like they're 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 there. They're so ever present. The decision making. So, as an example, um, prime ministers and premiers and their their advisors are facing a really a, a, a definite decision between life and the economy, lives and the economy. Now, that's probably a decision that they face every day, in fact, because how much do they allocate to health and uh, the health sector? When they're allocating money to the health sector, what parts of the health sector are they allocating it to? And some of the decisions they make will, you know, could potentially um, 
put put one life ahead of another like but but they're not as obvious the decisions they're making in normal time but now by saying we're going to you know isolate for example we're going to stop business operating as it as it has been for a while they're actually prioritizing and saying we value life ahead of the economy in some ways but there is going to be a limit to that because the world has to run so it is a really difficult environment to be a leader in any in any place. Let's talk about your leadership and wind it right back to the start. Every kid I think who plays rugby wants to play for the Wallabies. Uh, but I don't know how many kids dream about captaining their country. It's all about wearing the gold jersey or wearing the baggy green. Did you ever see yourself as a, a captain of the Wallabies when you were a kid? You ever wanted to hold that position or did you just want to play for your country? Look, I can honestly say I never coveted the role as as captain. It wasn't something I ever even dreamt of. I absolutely dreamt of playing for Australia. Um, As a kid in the backyard, you know, I represented Australia a thousand times and, (laughs) you know, against just about every country in existence, um, whether it be in rugby or cricket or, or whatever. But, you know, I never had thought about, about being captain. Probably those thoughts didn't come to me until maybe, you know, it would be less than 12 months before I had the opportunity to do it. And, and they, you know, it still wasn't something, a, a burning ambition that I had. It was more something that came about. And there's no false modesty in saying this, but I think it came about because there was no one really at the time who, look, there was a number of, the, the captaincy options, the obvious options were either injured or just retired and moved on and there was no obvious replacement, me included. So it was by, you, you claiming you became Wallaby captain by default? Yeah, look, it wasn't quite a Stephen Bradbury, I don't think, <laughs> but, uh, well, I wasn't captain of Queensland at the time. I had never captained Brothers Rugby Club, my club at the time. About as a school kid, did you ever captain? Teams? I captained. I captained our Colts team to the grand final, in, and we won in nineteen eighty nine. They saw something in that. So I think that that was uh, that might have been the the stepping stone. Look, even even school in rugby and cricket at different stages, but not in the first fifteen or first eleven. But the year before that, there was a group of us that went on the last Australian Barbarians tour, and some people talk talk about it as being the last great rugby tour of the amateur era because it was just at the end of 1995 rugby was on the cusp of turning professional the contracts had pretty much been signed and uh and we went away as an amateur tour and we went to canada and and i captained that tour roger gould was the coach and he invited me to captain the the tour and probably well that was my first experience at a at a senior level with that opportunity and and it really helped me a lot and being with a guy like Roger who was a great thinker about the game and would challenge you in the way you thought about the game but also had this wonderful balance of of we we have to have fun here as we're going along the journey and we were about to transform from being a sport that was an amateur sport and had been an amateur sport for 100 plus years to being a professional code Yet we wanted to make sure we held on to some of those traditions of the past. So it was a good opportunity to to be involved then and then to be chosen by Greg Smith and the uh, the Board of Australian Rugby as the you know, to captain the Wallabies in the first 
uh, in the first days of professionalism. What would you say are the qualities? And this is a difficult question uh, for the man in the middle to to answer. But if you had to assess your own qualities that that made you a, a good choice as captain, what would they be? Look, I'm not sure in the st- at the start it was a good choice, you know, <laughs> me, but uh, you, you get better at these things. I certainly wasn't great at it initially. Um, look, I, I think what I was, was I, I think I was naturally composed. I think that was something that I inherited from my father. He was a very, you know, he wasn't someone that flew off the handle. He was someone that observed a situation, could be very calm under under pressure, would also be very calm under no pressure. It wouldn't get carried away uh, if things were going really well. And that's just as important. Um, so I think I think my temperament equipped me well to take on the role. Um, my empathy for, for people and circumstances. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, I was someone who had to work hard to be to be okay at what I was doing. You know, I, I understood the battles that, that people had to go through. I, I Growing up, I'd never been an automatic selection. In fact, most of the time was never even a selection in any representative teams. And I, I think those experiences, if you remember them, they, they hold you in good stead to, to understand the people that you're leading. So I think I had a good understanding of people and I, I think I needed to upskill on my... Um, ability to hold people to account my uh you know to challenge my need to be liked uh and i I think most people want to be liked Mm. uh and you go into a role of being captain of a major australian sporting team and there's going to be times when you're not liked well that's that's actually a common theme that i'm finding is that um that a lot of captains and, and leaders I've spoken to have said it is impossible virtually to be one of the boys. Once once you've got the, the captain's armband, you can't or one of the girls, as the case may be, you you can't you can't be one of the, the gang anymore. There's just that little separation. The way I look at it is if you're the captain of a sporting team, a major sporting team, then you're in the center of a triangle. A, a triangle with three forces pushing against you and and at different st- or pushing against you or with you and at different stages you're either with or against each of those forces and you're probably the only person in that triangle who's with and against each of those forces at different stages because as the captain you are a player yet you're apart from the players in some respects so at times you're with the players and you're pushing against the three sides of the triangle are the players, the administration of the game and and the the coaching staff. So in, in one sense, you're, you're with the players, but in another sense, you're pushing back against the players and you're pushing back with a view from administration or the coaches. Exactly the same. Sometimes you're the coach, you're, you're in with the coaches, but other times you, you need to be pushing back at them. And exactly the same with administration. And you're... Your judgment comes, uh, you, your judgment comes into it, as to say, you know, which of those sides of the triangle are you going to be supporting at different stages, or well, you're supporting them all, I suppose, all the time. But 
which which side are you taking at different stages? Because it will vary. And sometimes the players will have a point you really have to argue and you've got to push back against administration. But but sometimes you, you also take the view because you probably will, and one of, as one of the more senior players, you'll probably have more insight into the, into the challenges of the administration. So there's going to be times when even though the players will will think they know what's right and they'll think they'll know what's best you've actually got to push back on them and saying we've got to we've got to pull ourselves you know in in at the at the moment can you give me an example throughout your career of of one of those times whether it be you were siding with the players against the administration or you know you you were towing or not towing the administration's lines, but, but but understood where they were and you had to negotiate with the players is there is there a moment in time that you can take us to uh, look, I think with the players and the administration, they were probably around some of the, you know, some of the demands around uh, whether it be sponsors and all of a sudden, you know, because we're being played, we had greater responsibilities to sponsors and 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 so I think players had to be more aware of that and sometimes they would uh, would not want to do the things they had to do to to fulfill their obligations so you had to push back from an administration point of view even if sometimes that got in the way of playing or being perfectly prepared for sport you had to understand that there were there were different masters but i think probably more there was some great examples probably of our time uh we would say with the the coaching staff and rod and i initially rod mcqueen uh who has been australia's greatest ever Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Wallaby coach, but by, by some measure, with what he was able to achieve in, in in some respects. I mean, yeah, both he and Bob Dwyer won World Cups in in different eras. Both outstanding coaches. Um, I wasn't a captain with Bob, but had a huge amount of respect for him as a coach and and learnt a lot from him. But I suppose because Rod was my uh, coach when we were very successful with the Wallabies. I certainly I worked a lot closer with him from that regard, but initially we didn't hit it off, and there was this abrasiveness between us. And uh, part of that was because I instinctively I was more a player than I was part of the coaching team. And yes, that that should be the case at, at certain stages, but I wasn't taking on necessarily the line of the coaches, which which you don't necessarily have to take on. You need to challenge that. But it wasn't until our first tour we went away and we drew it, you know, beat Argentina, then we lost to Argentina, we drew with England, then we beat Scotland. I remember coming back from that tour and Rod and I having a a moment where he really challenged me. He said, look, you're not supporting uh, me and the coaching staff as much as you should be and I can't have that from someone who's my captain. I said, well, Rod, part of the reason I'm not supporting you is you're not including me in a lot of the decision making so I'm often just hearing about things at the same time that the rest of the players are and they're things I may not agree with and may 
you know, would have liked to have had the opportunity to challenge and, and therefore sometimes the only time I've got to challenge is in front of everyone. So we sort of thrashed it out a bit more colourfully than, than what I've just described, <laughs> perhaps, but, um, but we really thrashed it out and at the end of that conversation, we, we committed to a couple of things and the first thing was that, that Rod would involve me in all key decision-making within the team. Now, that wasn't necessarily selection times. You might seek my opinion on that, but I specifically didn't want to be on the selection panel, but he definitely sought my opinion. Um, But it was more on uh, how the team was run, how we're going to play the game, how we, yeah, what our plans were uh, in, in preparation, what were the standards of the team that we would expect. We would have hour long conversations or hours long conversations behind closed door we would we would disagree as much as we'd agree we'd thrash it out but we made the pact that as soon as we stepped out from behind that closed door we were a united front and it didn't mean we didn't take challenge from the team we absolutely did but we were never anything but a united front so that was how we handled that that ability to thrash things out um I guess that translates into a management sense within a company, you know, working out your strategy and then presenting it to staff or even mum and dad when they're, you know, finding common ground before they're presenting something to their kids. It, that, that actually translates into a number of areas of, of life. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I see it all the time and work with some, you know, really good chairmen and there's, Gary Smith is the chair of uh, of Flight Centre, and he's you know, very um, you know composed leader again, you know, who will have a lot of discussions in the background before you know, getting your view on things, and you have the chance, and you know, it's not to single him out because there's a lot of other you know great leaders like Screw Turner, you know, the founder of Flight Centre, wonderful guy to work with in. In so many different ways, like we've had the, you know, the moment the other public company I'm on is Magellan Financial Group, and you, you're working with a guy like Hamish Douglas, who's one of the, the great investors and 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 leaders in 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 um, in funds management and and leaders in business, and it's really fascinating to watch how these people think and they work and the the lessons you learn from it from them. You know, Anne Sherry is another in business that I've worked within a number of different situations that is a you know a really effective leader that you watch how they manage different situations and you learn from them now you mentioned that you perhaps weren't the captain that you wanted to be particularly early on can you remember a a moment a match where you felt like you were more comfortable in the role that you were in control that that maybe it was like yeah i i can do this I think it's, you know, there's probably a whole lot of different moments and there's moments where you're really challenged at different stages and sometimes you have, you know, difficult characters. I mean, you always have different characters and some of them are more difficult than others to deal with. But it, I suppose it's, you know, even without going to specific examples, but it's when you have people that you may not have a natural affinity with as you might with other people in the team but when you challenge them and they may not like what you're saying um, they may not agree with what you're saying 
but they respect you enough to go along with what you're saying at least for that that period of time and I think for me it was when I had the confidence to be myself and to to you know just step out and actually back myself in certain circumstances and to see people actually follow you in those moments that that's when you get that that sense of satisfaction that grow a little bit more confidence in what you're doing and how you're doing it that almost feeds into this question and it's about um the aura of leadership and i'm take you back to that that moment the the kick for goal in the Bledisloe, which has become synonymous with you how about this for stepping up to the mark john eels is going to take the kick himself this kick will decide the fate of the Bledisloe Cup. What a player, John Eels. His kick has retained the Bledisloe Cup. In that moment and, and after that moment, you can hear the commentary and, and there's almost a, an aura that builds up around you in terms of leadership. How much um, or how important is that in the roles as a leader when others believe that you are a, a good leader? Does that help you be a good leader and, and be successful? I think it does. But yeah, to me, it comes back to that idea of composure and faith. Yeah, people need to have faith in their leader. They need to believe in them. They need to believe that they will work really hard for them. It doesn't mean that they'll favor them over anyone else, but they're going to work really hard for them. And I think most of the role in leadership of sport is done off the field, much more than it's done on the field. Most of it is not is not done in the you know in the things you'll watch in a prime video. Uh, most of it's done in the little conversations you're having, you know, with different people behind the scenes, the little challenges you're giving them behind the scenes to. You know, that you know if they do that, they're going to become a better player. They're going to become a better person. And they don't need to hear that in front of you know, 30 other people in a team room. At least initially they don't. If they keep transgressing, they might need to hear it in front <laughs> of 30 people in a team room. But before that, it's just those those quiet bits of input. So, And I, I really believe that if people feel that you're you're investing in them, and investing in them as people continuously, then they're going to be more likely to, to do something for you. And look, one of the things about our team, our Wallaby team through that period of time, there were so many moments where people stepped up. Yeah, that kick was a moment for me to step up, but there was a moment for Bernie Larkham to step up and kick his field goal. There was a moment for Sterling Mortlock to kick his goal to win the tri-nations championship a harder kick than what i took and just a couple of weeks later yeah there's there's moments where george gregan stood up where david wilson stood up where tim horan stood up where whoever it might have been at different stages and some were really well known and iconic moments and others will never be known by anyone other than the bloke beside him at that moment on the paddock but and 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 each are just as important as the other and I think that's that's what ultimately develops a great team and that's what ultimately creates an environment that someone can lead in where you've got people who are prepared and able to 
step up in in those moments when they're asked to and and i think that was one of the things for us we had a lot of leaders in that team some had i might have had the c next to my name george gregan might have had the vc next to his name but there were so many other leaders in that team some were designated in roles in leadership roles others weren't but everyone led and i remember one of the things i used to always say to to people before we played a game is and big games in particular at some point in the game today you are going to be in a position to influence the outcome of this game and no one else is going to be able to do it you're going to have to do it so at that point in time you are the the most important leader in this team and the call on you is going to be the challenge for you is going to be whether you take that moment or whether you don't and that i think if if people keep taking that moment every time they take that moment big or small they're going to they're going to gain extra respect and faith from their teammates around them and the amalgamation of all those small moments will create this this great amount of faith in the team faith in the leader but faith in the whole team um so they're little moments of success um what about uh moments of adversity um, failure do they uh, inform the culture of a team just as much as those little moments of success i think how we respond to those moments of failure and those moments of disappointment is is really important because i know as a team and we're under greg smith at this stage we went to wellington we lost uh we lost 43 to 6 against the All Blacks, still the worst losing margin in the history of Australian rugby. Now, that was a low moment, but for a lot of us that were there, and a lot of us that were there went on to win a World Cup a few years after that, it was a moment that we learnt from because we weren't that much a worse team than, than the All Blacks at that stage. We had a lot of natural ability. We weren't putting it together as a team. We had an inexperienced leader, uh, we had some poor decision making out there on the field as a result of that. It wasn't just me, it was others as well. We were a little bit deers in a headlight that day. But we, we, we learnt lessons from that day. We applied ourselves and the, the fix didn't come immediately. Although we almost beat them a few weeks later at, at uh, Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Um, but we, we learnt lessons from that time that really held us in good stead down the track. You should never waste the the sad moments, never never waste the disappointment because it can lead to such great opportunities down the track. One of the great privileges that you had in retirement was... Working to, with you. Apart from working with me, that's another great privilege, um, was to be in the Olympic environment, right? So how many games did you... I know you did 2004. Was that the only... No, I did three Olympics. Yeah. So four, eight and 12. So Athens, Beijing and London. And I had that wonderful role as an athlete liaison officer where you're part of the team, you're a mentor within the team, you're living in the village... You're supporting the athletes and coaches within those teams, and you know you get assigned to different teams, and different teams may use you as a resource, more or less, depending on their requirements. Different individual athletes within those teams may use you more or less, and some people don't need you; they're, they're respectful and welcome you. 
but they don't need you and they don't source you out and others really do seek out your help and support and and it was wonderful to be you know to have that opportunity to see as rugby wasn't an olympic sport while i played it um but i was really welcomed into that family and learned an enormous amount and they would have learnt a lot from you. What were some of the things that you were able to impart? And again, this is around that leadership space. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I was a part of great teams and I was a part of average teams. And I suppose it's trying to to draw the parallels with the journeys of those particular teams, the, to draw the parallels for the leaders of those teams and, and even people who are just, just performing in moments. You know, with your own career, your own experiences. And I was certainly not one to impose that on anyone. I was always there and available and you'd let them come up to you and seek you out. And and through the questions they asked, you hopefully would be able to give them some insight and maybe a couple of tips that would help them. It was a unique role because you weren't part of the coaching team. You, you weren't... Uh, you. You know, I studied psychology at uni, but I'm not a psychologist. So you didn't have those professional qualifications. But what you did have was experience. And I suppose what you did have was, in their eyes, you had been there and you'd done that. And so whatever anyone else was giving them, from a professional perspective, you were giving them that something a little bit different that, as I say, was relevant for some and not relevant for others. And the way I approached it was, they had to decide if it was relevant for them and then they'd come and seek me out. How many gold medals are you claiming to have been behind? Zero. All oh, right. No, okay. that, that, that was all their work. <laughs> uh, and just to stitch all of this together, what are your non-negotiables when it comes to leadership and if you want to be on the team, these are the things that you need to follow to be a successful team? Any great team is a combination of an individual a group of players, and we're talking about team sports here, but we're also actually also talking about individual sports because any individual sport is going to have their own team around them. And they're going to be a combination of the individual, their teammates, and the plan that they have. Now, two out of threes of those is not good enough. You can't just be, you can't just have faith in yourself and your teammates if you don't have faith in your plan or your strategy, your system. You can't have faith in 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 your you can't have faith in your team and your system, but not yourself. You can't have faith in yourself and your system, but not your teammates. So the goal has to be to build that uh, that rapport, those skill sets required, the the you know the relationships between the trust between those different those three different prongs. Uh, if if you can get that, you, you're going to be pretty well set up. And the, a lot of the then so what what informs those three areas? And it's going to be all those yeah you know, those those agile philosophies about planning, about resilience, about communication, about values. Yeah, you know, what is it that you stand for? What won't you stand for? Um, getting all of those things right, and and we could go on for forever about that interesting though that the value part of it you see so many companies now and you know they'll have their values emblazoned on the wall and you know in a team sense you can talk about this is what we stand for but unless you live it, it it's not really worth 
anything, is it? The, the buy-in from the group is so important, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, values on a wall don't mean anything unless they're, you know, they're personified in, in, you know, within the body of the group. And, and they also, I, I think they'll be different because you'll get organisations that are 40 years old that have really strong values. They may not be stated or on the wall, or they may be, but they'll be embodied by people in the organisation. And, and then sometimes you'll have the, the trite ones that, that don't mean anything, really. They're just, they're just words and, that, and that's it. So I think one of the advantages in sport is you're spending so much time together in, in such a, in confined surrounds where it's you against the world in, in some respects or you against whatever challenge it is that you're confronting in the world. Um, but you've got this, this very closed structure that you're able to operate within and create you know, a, a purpose in that team environment. Once you get into the workforce and in, into, the, into corporations that you go from, from working with 15 in a rugby team to working with 15,000, it's very difficult and very different to embed a set of values and to, to bring them alive in an organisation of 15,000. But the great organisations can do that. And to bring it back around from where we started, would it be fair to say that out of the back of what we're living now, the companies who are still surviving and do recover are exactly the companies that you've just spoken about who are who have solid history they know their own identity they live their values are they the ones who will survive maybe not exclusively maybe not maybe not it's probably not enough actually because there'll be some business models that will have all that people will be absolutely um, committed they'll have the purpose that, that aligns with the organisation. It'll be altruistic, uh, well-intentioned. The business will be a good business in previous times. Maybe that business won't be relevant in the future. And that's one of the hardest things that we're confronting in this period of time. Good people sometimes don't survive. Uh, good businesses sometimes don't survive the, the various challenges of the time. And that's, that's a confronting aspect of what we're facing at the moment. Yes, indeed. We are in very challenging times. John Eels, very good to catch up once again. Thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. Thanks, Nick. John Eels joining us on the Playmakers Playbook this week. And I've been racking my brain. Can't really think of anyone more respected in the world of rugby than that bloke. I hope you've been able to get a sense of exactly why that is. The Playmakers Playbook is available wherever you get your favourite podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify and Deezer. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, give us a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend. Look forward to your company next week on the Playmakers Playbook. 